0: Hello and welcome to Rise of the Data Cloud. Today we're kicking off Season 2, and in our first episode, we're featuring an interview with Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake. In this episode, Frank gives us an update on what the last year has looked like for Snowflake, the impacts of their record-setting IPO, the monumental impact of the data cloud, and much more. So please enjoy this conversation between Frank Slootman, CEO of Snowflake, and your host, Steve Hamm.
1: So Frank, it's been about a year since we started off the podcasts and yours was the initial one. So a lot has changed. I wanted to talk to you about one of the most important things that's changed, which is really you've, you and your leadership team has coined the term data cloud, you know, the idea that data is mass migrating to the cloud where it can be better integrated, managed, shared, analyzed, all that good stuff. And you positioned Snowflake as the leader in this journey for businesses and organizations. So I wanted to know how has your vision of the data clouds evolved and developed over the past months?
2: That's a great question, Steve. I mean, our basic observation about the industry is that infrastructure clouds are, of course, highly scaled and consolidated in the likes of Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure and Google Cloud and so on. They're massive and getting bigger. We also have very large application clouds, right? The likes of Salesforce and Workday and ServiceNow and SAP and so on. And that's all good, and then customers broadly use these capabilities, and then you go look for data, and it turns out that data is fragmented and segmented in, in millions and millions of places, you know, behind all kinds of perimeters, network systems, applications, and so on. So, and you you wonder why? So, data is just taking a backseat to to the infrastructure as as well as to the applications. And you are you to you ask the question of well why is this an issue why is this a problem you I know mean, a lot of the analytics efforts that we've had as an industry were very much what we call in silo meaning that they were targeting one specific data set and using things like tableau to to dashboard that and you know people were reasonably happy with those kind of results but the world is changing right data sciences really doesn't care number one about the boundaries that exist between data silos they're very much into discovering and describing relationships between data sets that might be uh, you know, very unlikely, if you will, in the sense that I might relate an internal data set with an external one structure with unstructured. It's really about understanding data relationships because once I do, then I can use those relationships to train models on and then I can use them to predict. And obviously that's the value that we get from discovering data relationships. But these data relationships cannot be impeded and encumbered by data silos and data living in millions of places. So it's very important that we arrive at a notion of a data cloud where the workloads have unfettered access to data, regardless of what it is and where it lives and so on. And we're going to blend it and overlay it and join it to our heart's content so that the data science teams can discover these very high value uh, relationships that are There to be discovered in the data so that's sort of the the whole reason why the notion of a data cloud is essential i mean we're we have the technological underpinnings to do it we do it every day but it's much bigger than snowflake it's something that has to happen in the industry given you know how important data science is shaping up for all of us not just in the world of of tech but in in the business world in general yeah
1: Yeah. i think you've done a good job of stating the vision and also positioning the company because i think when people out there in business think about the data cloud, they think of Snowflake, which is a pretty important strategic spot to put yourself in, so well done with that.
0: This episode is brought to you by Snowflake. Join 50,000 of your peers at Snowflake's annual global user conference, Snowflake Summit, this June 8th through 10th. Hear from Snowflake customers, industry thought leaders, and more about how they bring data together now with the data cloud. Learn more and register at snowflake.com slash summit.
1: Now, you talk with hundreds of customers every year, and I know that this has been a pretty strange year because of COVID, but I imagine you're doing a lot of phone calls and, and, and Zoom calls. What are the biggest business trends related to data that you're hearing about from the C-suite?
2: well you know, obviously people are still uh, incredibly preoccupied with the, the effects of the in the pandemic i had a call earlier this week with the ceo of a very large you know pharmaceutical healthcare company and they were talking about how overnight when the pandemic hit that, that the demand coming from hospitals was all over the map. It was up 30% here. It was down 30% there. So managing a supply chain and and shipping things just became almost impossible. And it was just frantically calling around, trying to get a a grasp on, on a rapidly evolving situation. That was the first time where people started to realize this. We can't do things based on historical trends anymore, because the trends are all broken. We can't steer the ship by its wake. Right, we need to understand the relationships, and then use those relationships to predict. And one of the data sets on our Snowflake data marketplace is called Star Schema. It's essentially uh, a, a real-time COVID uh, incident fatality, very detailed uh, data set that's very, very widely used by our customers because they're using it to figure out where the disruptions are, both to the positive and to uh, to the negative. So. There's this incredible awareness that anecdotal observation isn't going to cut it when you have dislocations of this uh, this sort of magnitude. So that, that definitely has been a catalyst in all our conversations. The notion of a data cloud is kind of fun because you know we always talk to large enterprises about them having their own data cloud, their own branded institutional enterprise data cloud, where their unique data architecture, their data sources, how they provide data as well as how they consume data from the outside how that comes together, because data clouds become the, the, beat, the beating heart of the modern enterprise, right? So we need to start evolving towards an infrastructure uh, like that. So we enable really our future that way. We, we talk a lot about optionality, which means it's very hard to know what we're going to need, but we got to architect ourselves in such a way that we have an enormous amount of flexibility to move in every direction, you know, as, as the world sort of inf-
1: unfolds in front of us. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. Hey, I wonder, obviously there, there are huge changes in the way people see data and use it internally and then w- with partners. Is it changing business in kind of beyond the data? For instance, are companies starting to, you talked about supply chains, are, are companies really starting to think about, hey, we should have redundant supply chains and maybe we should have suppliers from our continent and things like that? Are, are they rethinking things pretty fundamentally or is it pretty much just, we're going to manage it better the way it is.
2: It's really changing uh, in in terms of latency, in terms of how fast things arrive and how fast systems react to events that are discovered in the data. Historically, what we've done is we run batch processes. I mean, you you kind of shiver just hearing the word batch, right? <laughs> this dates back to the 1970s, but that's still how things work in a lot of places where we run these massive processes and. You know, in a matter of weeks, the dashboards are populated and we have nice visualizations and, and all that sort of thing. But fundamentally, data is being used to inform people. And what these people do after that is unknown, if anything, right? I call it so last century, that that whole mentality about doing things from reporting to dashboarding, of course, where it's all moving. And we've heard the, the term digital transformation probably one too many times because everybody uses it to to describe just about anything that's going on. But to us, it means is running it and digital processes fully disintermediated from human intervention. And they run at light speed. They are completely data driven. They're incredibly highly scaled. They're very economically and they're incredibly precise. And that obviously is how modern enterprises are, are really instrumenting and building themselves, right? They start from the ground up by, by running themselves end to end digital. That is the big trend. That is the big change. And uh, you know, for people who have historically grown up with, with the more traditional uh, reporting, dashboarding attitude towards data, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to change, and they're trying to build data science teams, and they're trying to put in place data platforms like Snowflake and really catch up and evolve to that level of sophistication. And uh, it's a big change. It's a huge change.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like that change in the availability of data and insights really lets the whole business just be more flexible because we there was a lot of inflexibility in, in, in business supply chains and relationships and stuff like that in the past. But it sounds like this is the tool that opens it up to being a much more flexible environment. Yeah,
2: yeah we, we have this term, Steve, the, the time value of data. And everybody knows about the time value of money, but we sort of created a derivative of that. The time value of data changes a lot. you know. When, when data arrives in seconds and minutes versus in days and weeks, what does that change in terms of what now becomes possible? Because as data ages, it rapidly loses its value and its, its impactfulness. And one of the big things that we're seeing at Snowflake is that because people are able to provision so many concurrent workloads, But such enormous size clusters, that data is showing up in seconds and minutes and all of a sudden sort of exploding people's heads like, what can we do with this? And right now we're in a a situation where we're only limited by people's imagination and their budgets because the technology is not going to hold you back anymore. And that's that's an enormous
1: change from where we historically have been. That's great. Now, Snowflake went public over the summer. Remember that, you know? i do <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up being the most successful software industry ipo ever i believe now how has being a public company changed the demands on the organization and on your leadership group i mean you talk about mobilizing data do you have to do that like in new or different ways than when you were a private company
2: well one of the one of the big things you have to do as a public company is that you have to guide the financial markets In other words, you know, you provide guidance on what you're going to do for the quarter and what you're going to do for the year. And depending on what kind of business model you have, that can be incredibly challenging or can be relatively uh, straightforward. Because we have a very new business model, which is based on on consumption actually equals revenue in in our world. It's a one-to-one relationship. We have to guide markets on things that haven't happened yet. In other words, how do we know what our customers are going to consume in terms of snowflake for the period that we are just about to give guidance for right that's because what do we know about their priorities their intentions and so on so we make heavy use of snowflake itself and we build very sophisticated you know machine learning models to reference historical data and patterns to allow us to tell the markets this is where we believe we will end up for the period and, uh, you know, prior to, to going public, we actually spent the year before actually giving ourselves mock guidance just to see how we were doing on running these very sophisticated models. And that's worked out really well for us. Uh, you know, we're quite precise guiding the markets on, on where we are in consumption and revenue. But that's, that's a good example of something that is completely different yeah. from what we had to do when we were private.
1: So, Frank, I understand that one of the top priorities post-IPO is that Snowflake is really reorienting itself and going vertical. Can you talk about how the data cloud is helping healthcare and finance and some of these other organizations or other industries change the way they do business?
2: Yeah, the the drive towards a much stronger vertical market orientation uh, was not so much triggered by the IPO, it was really triggered by our, orientation towards very large institutions and enterprises. And the reason is when you get high up in large institutions, they don't want to hear about architectural distinction and why you can run this workload so much faster. They want to know how you change their lives in terms of business outcomes, customer experience, whatever it is that matters to that organization. And those end up being very industry-specific conversations, whether you're talking to a bank or a hospital is a completely different conversation. And customers really demand that we step into their world as opposed to we make them step into ours. That's been a big pivot. It's very important when we have conversations with customers that they always have an industry context. They're not interested in sort of high-level, abstract, conceptual conversations. We have to bring it down to to the relevant industry context of the conversation. We're talking to a big bank. And we talk about the Snowflake data marketplace. We specifically talk about listings and data providers like S&P, like FactSet, because that is the type of data that they use. And then of course, what they want to know is, well, what are other people doing with Snowflake that I should be interested in? So those conversations have a lot of traction. and, And that's really the evolution. For us as an organization, It means that We have to learn industries and we have to learn it fast. And I'm personally very engaged in in really accelerating and and being a catalyst for for making sure that we become really good industry partners to our customers that they feel like, yeah, you guys know a lot, you know a lot about my industry, a lot about what's going on in, in other institutions. And that is helpful and that is productive for me. So that's the evolution. Like I said, it's driven by us being in larger institutions and higher up in the tree, if you will. Because that's the type of conversation you want to have with us.
1: Yeah, it looks like you also have to up-level who you talk to in those organizations. You're going from the technology leaders to the business leaders, or, or maybe a combination of the two. But you're definitely talking to the business leaders these days, which means you're getting more and more strategic, I, I would think.
2: That is absolutely true. And We used to reach for CTOs, chief technology officers, chief data officers, CIOs, chief information officers. I can tell you that more than half of my meetings are now with CEOs. That's a huge change, and that's because CEOs are becoming very interested in data and what data can do for their enterprises. And As we discussed earlier, COVID has been a catalyst for this kind of thinking. Probably it was going to happen anyways, but so many things. COVID has, has been an accelerator of, of many things that were already happening, but now they're happening quicker.
1: Yeah, we've had, actually, we've talked about this in a couple of our other podcasts, just the whole idea that, that companies are starting to see themselves as technology companies. And they have, That has to be part of their expertise. And what made them realize it is when they started to realize the value of data. So that's the the switch that makes a CEO realize that he, d- he can't just put technology off on the side and not think about it. He's got to engage.
2: Yeah, te- technology, obviously, all, all, all companies, I don't care what industry you're in, everybody is a technology company, whether we like it or not. It's being forced on us. We now a very strategic relationship with BlackRock recently. And of course, BlackRock is is by far the largest asset manager in in the US or or in the world for that matter. 22 trillion in assets that are being managed by hundreds of of institutions. But aside from being an asset manager, they also have the industry's most prominent software platform for managing assets as well. So they are a full-on technology company. In conjunction with with also being a financial uh, institution, they go hand in hand. So it it won't be long before in many conversations, we just can't separate the technology conversation anymore from the business conversation.
1: BlackRock is so powerful, in fact, that it basically tells businesses, the business world, how it wants them to behave. You've probably seen some of the stuff where they said, hey, climate change is company we're going to invest in companies that that deal with it, not that turn their faces away from it so I, as you go higher and higher in these large organizations, you're going to be part of the conversation with the most powerful leaders in the industry and that's that should be interesting
2: yeah that's absolutely true and the technology skills are are becoming uh mainstream they're not just for technical people. everybody has to become technology savvy and conversant and and all those kinds of things and people have been trending that way, obviously. But again, it's accelerated everywhere. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, a lot of people are talking these days about the value of sharing data. I think people talk about it more these days because it's easier because of the cloud. It used to be one of the big bottlenecks, sharing data internally and especially externally used to be just hard as could be. But the data cloud has changed that. So if you can talk about what, what are the most interesting things that you that your customers are doing internally and with their business partners, or even with their customers, creating, I think, what you've talked about is data network effects. What's going on there?
2: The reason that data sharing is, is such a big deal is because data science doesn't really care about the silos and boundaries between data. They're interested in data relationships, and, and they typically are discovered and they exists across data sets so if you can't bring data together you are not in a position to discover and, and really mobilize those relationships so that's what's driving data sharing we have to bring data together that is just a big shift from where where we historically have been where we just did analytics uh, inside a single silo we called it a day we populated the dashboard we went home at night that's just not good enough and data sharing was really hard historically because we either used apis which is like sucking data out through a straw It had all kinds of other management issues, latency issues, and and cost issues, and so on. Or we use uh, massive heavy lifting through uh, file transfer protocols, and that, of course, had we had to surrender custody to data, and all kinds of governance problems related to security and privacy. So after a while we're like you know what this is just too hard you know we're not going to do it anymore we're going to do as little as we possibly can because of the snowflake data Cloud, we can just now turn on data sharing relationships in literally in minutes we've we shown that as part of operation warp speed in terms of the, uh, managing vaccine data out there how important it was to create a visibility across the supply chain because data starts to make sense when you can see uh, the entire supply chain as opposed to just one piece of it. It's like you have a flashlight and you're walking into a dark cave. Where, wherever you shine it, you have perfect visibility, but what you need to do is light up the whole cave. And Now you really get the, the the overview of what's going on, right? And there's also this delay of data problem that people need to get data much faster or they simply can't act as an organization on, on what's going on. Now, the idea of data network effects is really important because once you're, uh, you're on a data cloud, you have access through the data cloud to external data and you provide access to other parties to, to your data. You're now engaged in all kinds of data networking relationships with other parties. It's sort of like being on Facebook all over again, but not with your data. The relationships really become the fabric of your of your data operations. It's pretty hard to a tear yourself away, but you become you know more and more heavily in, invested in, in building more of these data networking relationships. We now visualize our our data cloud, and it looks like one of those Star Trek Death Stars out there because it's just a massive networking constellation representation visualization what's going on, and you can drill down by industry, and you can drill down by individual institutions. You can take any flavor uh, you want from it, but as it really starts to hit on that uh, data networking is a huge, huge thing, and it's growing in leaps and bounds. And of course, that's what Snowflake is. You know, we're we're fanning those flames as hard and as fast as, as we know how, and we do that in, in any number of ways.
1: Yeah, that is really interesting. Just you, you kind of set off a light bulb in my head. As Snowflakes data cloud gets bigger and bigger and and it pokes into more industries and into smaller companies, big companies, you're essentially going to have a map of the business world, a schema that is visualized that you can use to, and and other people who are members of of the, the data cloud can use to figure out what the heck is going on in the world.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. We always try to show prospects and customers, look, this is what your data cloud could right. look like. Forget about the Snowflake data cloud. It's ginormous. It has many players, but your version of the data cloud, What is your? what are your data networking relationships? How do you consume data? How do you provide data? And and first of all, people have sometimes a hard time articulating that or really giving good guidance on that. But when they start thinking about it, all of a sudden, all the ideas start coming. We could do this. We could do that. So it's a very organic thing that just after a while starts to feed on itself. Sometimes it just feeds on itself because of the presence of partnerships and data that they can get access to that they never realized that they could. Right. It's very important for us to prime that pump, right, to really make it rich and available, and then people's imagination takes them from there. Right.
1: Now, you've got the Snowflake data marketplace, and you've got the, the private exchange capabilities platforms. Have you seen any of your big enterprise customers put the whole thing out there, their entire supply chain, their, all those relationships, their entire distribution chain, or maybe even their marketing chain? Uh, relationships are they really putting the whole network out there
2: now p- people typically don't approach this with a giant scope and a giant switch it, it is much more organic and and piecemeal a lot of data sharing relationships are are one-on-one instead of you know one on many but you know if you it's very dynamic if you look day-to-day week-to-week month-to-month uh, things changing so rapidly and, and the reason is it's really easy to do um, you know setting up data sharing relationships is a matter of minutes right you externalize the data in terms of the access we develop the credentials for it and there it is boom you're, you're off to the races right so there's really nothing this was the problem historically with apis and file transfers it was just a horrendous undertaking to do the simplest things and now it's just so easy
1: that you can turn it on and off at will but in the future do you see, you anticipate the companies will kind of create these, meshes, you know, of, of all of their relationships? Is that a possibility?
2: Absolutely. That's really the whole notion of having your own data cloud grab any large multinational global uh, entity. What does their data cloud look like? right? What are their, their important data relationships that they're maintaining? And in, in large institutions, they have multiple divisions, multiple businesses. We see their data cloud then breaking down in, in data clouds for different businesses, right? So it has many different layers to it. It's just not one thing. And you can navigate it to your heart's content. You can follow all these relationships. But at the heart of the data cloud are data relationships. It's it's a consumer and a provider. And that's really the building block of the data cloud. And there's just a gazillion of those. Yeah. You
1: know. It seems like market analysts have been talking for decades, even, about companies being able to monetize their own data. But it seems like the Snowflake Data Marketplace is really opening the floodgates for that kind of activity. If you could talk about some of these new revenue streams that companies are developing on the marketplaces, I think that would be interesting to people.
2: Yeah, the, the, the data marketplace so far has been a vehicle for people to, uh, to really discover and explore and, and, and test all kinds of different data. And it's been very successful with the monetization has been what we call out of band that that happens through a separate set of conversations and especially for professional data providers people that sell data for a living and they obviously have business models they have conduits they have contracts and they they have models of what the currency is and how they price it and so on which is all fine, but we are moving towards, uh, and we are literally in the middle of developing this towards, you know, a series of monetization models for people that are, that are on our Snowflake, they marketplace so they can transact in-band instead of -of out-of-band. We've signed up a bunch of what we call design partners, people that can really help us do this correctly for their type of business. There will not be one model. And the thing about data is that it's not all created equal. And so it's actually not a trivial thing. But we think if we do this and we do this correctly, I, I think it will uh, unleash a whole new data economy, if you will, a whole new data industry, because it becomes so effortless now to to transact uh, on data, which historically has been incredibly hard, not just because of the physical movement and the custody of the data, but also about uh, how, do you, how do you buy this? How do you pay for that, All those questions. So the more it becomes like an Apple App Store in many ways, right? We're obviously used to that metaphor. And we, we use that example a lot. But because they did it incredibly well. The monetization model is incredibly well established, but distribution model or the operational model is incredibly well established. They behave really well. They use all the common services. So there's a lot of sort of analogs and, and corollaries that are useful for us to examine. Yeah, I get
1: that. That'll make it much more efficient. But are you seeing any companies that kind of aren't? They don't, they're not data companies, but they're companies that are figuring out how to monetize their data because they've now organized it and managed it and, and they have these sharing capabilities. Is, is that starting to happen too or no?
2: Yeah, ab- absolutely. Our whole industry, so uh, where people scratching their head and they, they know their data is valuable, but they never have knew how to even have the first conversation around monetization. We know people that own tens of billions of dollars in terms of fast food industry data because they run the restaurants. Jeez, what is that, what is that data worth? In retail, they are incredibly rich uh, in data. Well, what is that worth? Obviously, in banking, they know their, their data. If, if, if you run a card business, whether you are JP Morgan or you're Discover or, or Capital One, who or, or is a big Snowflake customer, obviously, they know they have extraordinarily valuable data. Sometimes they're interested in monetization. And sometimes data gets leveraged for advertising purposes. So there's other models in play as well. It's not always strictly data either. So yes, uh, data monetization, it can become a whole new line of business for, for industries that, you know, that, that have not existed before because the platforms and the infrastructure just didn't exist. So it's just too hard. Right, right.
1: Frank, I've heard you talk about the fact that not all data is created equal. What do you mean by that exactly? And how does the data cloud help separate the wheat from the chaff? i give you an
2: example, you know, you, you look on our uh, Snowflake data marketplace, one, one data set. I mean, we were listing almost 400 data listings uh, right now, which is quite a lot. But there's one that stands out uh, head and shoulders and that happens to be a data set from Star Schema. It's very detailed, real near real time, incident fatality data on COVID. Almost everybody in our customer base uses that data. That's what I mean by some data sets are incredibly impactful, very globally applicable and, and everybody uses them and then others are, are much more incidental industry specific or even specific to, to to just one institution. Having the data size, the, the data sources that are incredibly impactful and globally applicable is a huge deal. We, we can spend all day loading our data cloud with data but and not move the And You can find just one, and that completely changes things. We also see institutions coming together and combining data and creating new data products, which is a very interesting phenomenon also, because people then don't have to join the data themselves. They basically can access the data And it's already joined and overlaid and and blended. We're going to see all kinds of things that uh, that we may not have foreseen when we first uh, got started on on this journey, just because it's possible.
1: It's interesting. It's like the oil industry. You sell crude oil and then somebody comes along and refines it into gasoline or jet fuel, and then somebody else uses the same stuff and makes it into plastic or something else. But that same thing is happening in, in, in the data world.
2: Yeah, we actually have even much more profound examples of that because we have this whole notion of data services or what our technical people refer to as installable applications where we're really combining code with data. You know, what that does is then data exists at multiple levels. It exists in a raw form and then it exists in, in, in successive levels of value-added processing. And this is how software developers can really add value to data, make the data much more uh, useful, impactful, valuable to potential consumers and an example of that is for is, is say I have a, an MRI scan which is an unstructured document obviously today that just gets you know sent to a radiologist and they read it and they basically however they they evaluate it and write that up but suppose uh, a bunch of software developers take that raw mri scan can't compare that scan against industry data historical data other patient data combine it with genomic data clinical data demographic data, whatever, however you want to go at this, and, and basically read that scan, but give a much richer, comprehensive analysis of that scan than the radiologist could ever come up with on on our on own. That's value-added processing. It's very precise value-added processing. That would be incredibly valuable, wouldn't it? And we're, we think we're going to unleash an entire software industry around people that have specific expertise around specific data that can bring a higher level of value to these different data sources. And because you have a marketplace where people can A, discover the service and B, monetize the service, it, it can really be fueled in, in terms of it lowers the bar for people to build things and market things and sell things yeah. as well as transact. Yeah.
1: Do you foresee a time when the, the data marketplace actually has some of those solutions providers cataloged on it as well as, in addition to the data providers?
2: Yeah, this is on its way. I will tell you that in uh, the middle of this year when we do our big summit event, where we're going to show uh, some of the leading edge examples I and mean, a lot of our connector technology that's built by us as well as by partners. We're going to use these models to do exactly that. So we're excited about where this this can all go. So it's not just data, right? You got to think. Uh, you think about data in a much bigger context than just raw data. Right, because if I can bring uh, value, incremental processing to the data, that starts to become really interesting. Because as a customer, I now don't have, I don't have to do that. I don't have to be smart. You get to be smart for me. I'm just using your service, right. and I'm, I'm producing the results of your service. I'm consuming the results of your service. And instead of me having to do that, so you have these subsequent levels of value brought to the data and having a good marketplace and model around it. Software development has always been hard because where does the data come from, right? Who wants to develop on dummy data? You really got to be very intimate to your understanding of the data to do
1: something useful with it, right? Well, this is the opportunity. Hey, that leads right into my next question, which is, it seems like one of the most powerful aspects of the data cloud is how it democratizes data and data analytics and puts all that power in the hands of the real users, the the business users. And you're giving people throughout organizations, whether it be a line manager, all the way up to the CEO, and the C-suite, you're giving them the tools to do the kind of sophisticated analytics that in the past, only a data scientist could manage. How is this changing organizations?
2: Well, it allows organizations to become data driven versus data informed. We spoke earlier about the fact that in the last century, we were running reports and we're populating dashboards. That's being data informed, right? Basically, data goes to people. And then we hope, like we'll how that. People do something useful with it. When you go to data-driven, it's end-to-end programmatic uh, and digital, right? It's real-time, it's highly scaled, it's economical, and it's incredibly precise in terms of its uh, predictive ability. And that's really what modern enterprises are are going to be made up of. They are just a series of, of digital processes. And the people working in enterprises are the people that built these processes and support them and resource and provision them and and so on. But fundamentally, the business process becomes end-to-end to digital. It, it all starts with blowing up these silos that we have built over decades. My biggest caution to customers is don't build the silos of the future. Right. Don't steer the ship by its way. Think data cloud, you know, allow the data to come together. Because if you don't, you know, uh, we're going to be very happy when we wake up some years into the future. We'll
1: have to tear down those silos again. That's right. That's right. Hey, I don't want to get too far down into the weeds with technology in this conversation, but I think it's important to talk about Snowpark. And I understand this is a new capability in your data cloud that enables developers to write code in their language of choice for data integration, data analytics, all those kinds of things. Now, Snowflake started off with a real focus on SQL as its uh, native language very popular easy to use all the kind of stuff so why are you making this shift and and why is it a significant change for snowflake and for the users
2: yeah it's not so much a shift as it is an evolution and an expansion of our uh, our scope you're, you're absolutely correct uh, sql is the, is, is the great common denominator because almost anybody that's been around data has, has, has some level of proficiency and you know, we, uh, we've seen that right snowflake has been able to address the largest data states in the world, but also the smallest where you have one person with a handful of files ingesting data and and, and running queries in, in, in a matter of, of minutes. So that's been great, but there is another audience and th- that audience are actually developers. These are highly technical people and they want to manipulate data inside their, their, their preferred programming and scripting languages. There is a whole audience for that because that's really where the whole Hadoop Crowd and, and and the people that came from that whole big data era where they came from, that's how they grew up and sort of they are evolving forward to this model, say so they are going to be using Java and, and Python and, and and you know other languages to manipulate data. And there's lots of artifacts in the language itself that, that are there for data manipulation. So we feel that as a data platform, as a data cloud, we absolutely positively have to enable that. So what Snowpark really is, is a strategy for the language runtimes to be inside our platforms. And that really combines code with data. So in other words, it's not just a data platform, it's a combination of code and data on a single platform. And it really turns it into an applications platform rather than just a data platform. So, you know, back to the earlier conversation about higher levels of value of processing against data. This is very significant because our whole spectrum of workloads expands as a function of this. It's, it's not the masses. It's certainly a smaller audience, but it's a very impactful uh, and, and important audience. Very important, very meaningful, uh, not just to address those workloads, but a combination of code and data really changes the, the texture of, of the data cloud to be a, a much bigger thing because we're not just going to be circulating data there. We're going to be circulating data applications there. And that's obviously a, a huge universe. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's great. No, it, We've been, over the past year, it seems like the year that's lasted forever. We've been dealing with the pandemic, the economic crisis in the US and around the world. It seems like these things are on the path to lifting though it's, you don't want to jinx yourself. So how has Snowflake been using data to operate in the midst of these uncertainties and keep your rapid growth going in spite of uncertain, of un, in spite of uncertain times?
2: We're, we're a Snowflake on Snowflake company. Our CIO, Sonny Beattie, he has a whole presentation and we put him in front of uh, customers all the time to talk about Snowflake runs on, uh, on Snowflake. Because all the data that 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 comes from operational environments, whether it's Salesforce or, or our own systems, it moves into our own internal Snowflake system, and it's heavily analyzed nonstop. I, I spoke earlier about how we guide Wall Street in the financial markets. All that happens in there. Obviously, when you run a consumption model, the analysis part of our business is huge. But our marketing people use it. Every part, our financial people use it. Our sales. Sales operations people use it. There's not a single part. Of course, the engineering folks are are all over this data. They actually support the platform. We have data at our core. We are a Snowflake-centric enterprise in, in every way you can imagine. It's just a natural reflex for us. So it's not like we really have to force
1: ourselves down that path. So. Yeah. I want to drill deeper, though. I, I want to understand how you and your management team use data to make decisions every day. You've got these huge challenges of volatility, of being a rapidly growing company, all the uncertainties, the situation. How do you use data to help overcome those
2: things it depends on on which part of the company you're talking about A finance organization obviously is obsessed with understanding the consumption of our service will translate into costs and revenue and, and all these kinds of things so that we can guide ourselves as well as external parties and that's a very significant thing so for a sales organization they need to forecast their business based on what we're able to discern from the data our marketing organizations have a huge demand capability, and that is incredibly data-driven, because obviously we're constantly enriching our data, and our, all our targeting and our marketing operations are informed and 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 driven, you know, by what we discern from from the data. Our engineering people—that's a whole universe uh, unto itself, because we are a service, not a software product, but we are a software uh, service. I mean, we're now processing close to a billion queries a day, right? You can just imagine how much data we have about our service. And then it's across different cloud regions. And we have different operational load factors, performance. There's just an enormous amount of data. And by the way, that's growing 100% year on year. So, you know, we're, we're taking on Google-esque, you know, type scale here in terms of the number of, of queries that we are that we are processing in the next couple of years. So, it touches every part of our our business. There's sort of not one silver bullet here that we can point to. That that is the sheer magic. It just permeates itself through every every function that we uh, that we run.
1: Yeah, I get it. For your information, there's a lot more to ogre than people think.
2: Really need to dig deep and get to know the real you. In the real, up close and personal
1: i talked before about how you and i did the first podcast about a year ago we've changed the format just a little bit and right at the end we'd like to ask a, a personal question a little friendlier and softer now i know about your racing boat we talked about that and i think most people know about that I, i'm told that you also have some pretty cool dogs including a brand new one who i think we've been hearing bark in the in the background a little bit so your work life is pretty intense do the dogs help you unwind or what how do they add to your life
2: yeah you know i'm i'm, I'm i should i should say we because my wife and i are, are, are both into this so we're a big animal welfare people you know a lot of our charitable operations are both for domestic animals we've built shelters in different places to really help Different areas of the country become no-kill zones for, for animals and things of that sort. And so we do a lot of that kind of work. We also do habitat for, for wild animals. So that's been a focus for our, our charitable uh, activities. And I, I, number one, we have a lot of affinity with it because we just like animals. But but, but secondly, it's also something that, that the government does not fund at all. So it all has to come from private sources so you know might as well be people like us in terms of our own animals uh, i yeah i mean I, one of them is one year old big golden retriever he's like 80 pounds uh big furball and, and the other one is an eight-month-old female black lap and their their best pals running around like crazy i, I always say uh, they humanize me <laughs> which might be necessary from time to time but they're they're a great company to have they go everywhere with us we never we never leave them anywhere
1: well, Frank, it's been great talking to you. It, it's, you know, it really, you know, talking again a year later like this really makes me realize how far things have come, certainly for Snowflake, but just the awareness of the data cloud, the importance of data, how aware people in business and in the media are of how important this is. And I, I feel like I got on the ground floor with you guys and I'm seeing something really grow big. So it's fun to watch from a bit of a distance here. So congratulations on this.
2: Yeah, thanks for your kind comments, Steve. I enjoyed our session here.
0: The Data Cloud World Tour is making 21 stops around the globe so you can learn about the latest innovations at Snowflake's Data Cloud at a venue near you. Join your fellow data leaders at one of our full-day events to network with Snowflake customers and technology partners, attend educational breakout sessions, and learn how to drive more value from your data find an event near you at www.snowflake.com data dash cloud dash world dash tour.